Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown with with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today I'm joined by the Artistic Director of National Theatre Wales, Lauren Campbell. Hi Lauren, how's it going? Yeah, very good thanks Kieran, how are you? Yeah, really good thanks. How are, how are you finding this kind of return to normal almost in terms of making the... Yes, yeah, it's good, I mean it's, you know, it's a an absolute joy to be able to get out into the world a little bit more. Um, you know, when I first started the job, my thought was the first year was going to be a never-ending uh, journey around Wales to see places, to meet yeah. people, to you know, put yourself into the middle of communities, audiences, understand how people were making work and where. So it's it's not been that in all sorts of ways, but now that I am able to start to get out and about and start traveling mm. and meeting people and seeing places and, you know, properly engaging with work, it's, yeah, it's really exciting. I guess it's one thing having those conversations with people on Zoom and another thing, seeing the work that people are making and really understanding what the theatre culture in Wales is like through yeah, I mean, seeing the work. I think it's- in Wales, there is a, a particular and an unusually profound relationship between place and people's work. Um, and, you know, while it's a relatively geographically small country, the diversity of place, the range of context, the subtle, profound differences between the culture of one region and another yeah. are, are enormous. So it's only when you're able to spend time and really you know engage with how people are working with their communities with their places uh, that you can start to get that that more nuanced understanding of what of what the possibilities mm. ahead of you really are because yeah. you know that's what it's really about it's what can we make happen what happens next yeah. uh, that all of those conversations are pointing towards and what is the creative potential of the environment and what work you could make to serve the people of Wales, which is exactly cool. that, exactly that. You know, the a national theatre, I think, is you know, at its most simple, a space for a nation to be having a conversation with itself about the telling of stories, about the creation of spaces, about bringing people together, about imagining and reimagining and, and trying to understand what we are and what we mm. might be and what we're striving to become. To start off with, um, I want to go back to the beginning and I want to ask you the question that I ask 
everyone who comes on this podcast. How did you first get interested in theatre? Um, it was right at the end of my time at school. Um, I didn't really do much, well, any theatre really, until my very last year at school. Um, and I was in a play. <laughs> it's really as simple as that. I was in a play and it was one of those light bulb coming on yeah. moments of being like, oh my goodness, this is just a fascinating, amazing place to be in. You know, the mm. excitement, the complexity, the sense of the possibility of it all. So, um, you know, not having done any of the things that you would have done in order to be able to apply to, you know, drama school or, or any of those things. Um, when it came to applying for university, I mostly applied to do English literature courses mm -hmm. and I applied for uh, one English, uh, one um, drama degree at Liverpool John Moores University and was fortunate enough to get in. Right. Um, so it was quite a... a sort of a late a late discovery and then a thing of going well like i'd like to i'd like to try and immerse myself in this um and was fortunate enough to get onto a course that yeah allowed me to go and do that and to begin and explore and think about you know what i might want to be or how i might want to work uh, were, within the industry were you thinking of yourself as a performer then yeah yeah i thought i was i thought i was an actor um <laughs> And, you know, I'd, once I'd graduated, I continued working as an actor for, I don't know, like another four years, four and a half, yeah. five years. Um, and during that time, myself and a, a, a friend from university went, moved back up to Edinburgh um, and we started a little company. So, you know, I was doing bits of jobbing, acting, bits of going up for, you know, theatre and film and TV and all of that. Um, and then alongside that, we started a little company, mostly working in schools, um, which was hugely an exciting and rewarding work, but also gave us a way of sort of generating a bit of revenue that we could then use to make our yeah. own shows. Um, and through doing that, I began to direct, um, which then again was one of those light bulb moments of going, oh, I've been, I've been in the right, I've been in the right room. I've just been standing in the wrong yeah. place in the. Was, um, was that out of choice or out of necessity? A bit, of, a bit of both. Of going like you know, we're gonna, we're gonna make shows. What you know, what do we want to make? And I, you know, I done yeah. a little bit of directing during my undergraduate degree, and then started to direct a little bit more with uh, Forge Theatre, which was the, the the name of the company we set up, and then um, became more and more fixated on and excited by that so I decided to go back and try and train further as a director right. so I went to what is now Royal Conservatoire Scotland what was then RSAMD um, and did a master's in directing uh, which was great it was sort of an 18 month course you got to work a huge amount with professional actors during that time got to go and do a set of placements within, yeah. within professional theatres got to do a lot of sort of networking and sort of like plugging yourself into the professional world and you know Scotland's very similar to Wales in that way that it you know it's a relatively small ecosystem so yeah if you can sort of manage to meet yeah people within organizations then when you come out the other side you can start to, to 
to sort of take the next steps. Um, did you do much assisting during that time? Did you learn from working with other directors? Yes, yeah, so I, I assisted um, Andy Arnold, who at that time was artistic director of the Arches, uh, Damien Cruden, who was at York, and um, Alan Lidyard, who was uh, artistic director at Northern Stage. Um, and then when I finished the course, uh, all three of them were uh, generous enough to take a, a small touring production that I'd managed right. to produce. We, we made a small production of um, Death and the Maiden and toured that to all of those venues. Um, I lost so much money uh, <laughs> doing that. It was a, you know, a, a, a hugely positive experience, but financially I'm total disaster. Um, <laughs> And then uh, while that show was touring, um, I got a place on the Regional Theatre Young Director Scheme, the RTYDS, okay. uh, which took me to the Traverse in Edinburgh as an assistant director. And then that was sort of my first job within within an institution, uh, which, yeah, and I did a lot more assisting there mm. for... Philip Howard, for Roxana Silbert, um, for you know, a whole a whole host of people uh, during the time there. And that was yeah, a huge learning and developmental time. Was it a big change then to go into the Travis? Was it a completely new way of working? Was it a whole different yeah, I experience? I hadn't you? done much in the way of new writing before right. that. So it was yeah, a huge baptism into working with living writers um at that time the sort of philosophy and methodology of the traverse was very much in service of the playwright and the idea that the you know the first production was the cradle of the play um and that the director's role in relation to the play is very much sort of art you know of course there is an, an element of the artist within it but it's, it's in a lot of ways an artisan role that you're, you know, facilitating the vision of the writer, you're, yeah. you're really honing your dramaturgical muscles and supporting that writer to refine form, structure, narrative, character, all of that. And then you're working with, you know, a company of actors and designers mm. and everyone else to them to, to realise that, that, that play. Um, and, I, you know, I ended up staying at the Traverse for... A little bit, but six, six and a half years, and was fortunate to direct a lot of work in that time, um, and to you know sort of learn your learn your craft yeah. in doing it, being able to spend a lot of time with writers, a lot of time in commissioning processes, a lot of time in development processes, a lot of time working with actors, and um, so yeah, it was a, yeah a, a wonderful time, and the, you know the glory of the Traverse as well that. For eleven months of the year, you know, you work at a relatively small new writing producing house, and then for one month a year, you're <laughs> at the centre of the fringe, and yeah. you know, the whole of world theatre is coming and playing on your doorstep, and you get exposed to this completely different range of context, range of artists, ways of making work, ways of performing, you know, linguistic, stylistic, yeah. formal. Uh, so yeah, it was a I, mean, I, I, bet, I bet that really inspired you and challenged you as a director to see the possibilities of what theatre could be. Absolutely, although, like, you know, what theatre can be, that there's no, I don't think there's any should about it. No. Theatre can, can be so many different things. Um, and, 
you know, coming to begin to explore and understand and be inspired by, you know, collaborative devising processes, by director-led work, by physical work, yeah. by, you know, work in languages, work where the text isn't the primary score, where you might be starting from design or place or polity, you know, just a, a huge range of different ways of coming at this, you know, incredible, fluid form of possibilities. Um, and your process, how has that developed as your career's gone on? What is your process and does it change depending on what you're working on? Yeah, it's very, it's very different. Um, depending on what on what it is, I think I'd say the the core line that goes through all of my work that's always been present in my work. I'm I'm obsessed with the idea of liveness, um, with about how I always want to make theatre where the audience has a very real ability to affect the show. Yeah. during the course of its performance that challenges the kind of conventional rule that right, you the audience, you sit in the dark, there'll be light up here this is how we move. Yeah. and that isn't to say that you can't be doing things which are formally complex and of scale but I think often theatre assumes its liveness um, whereas in liveness is something that you need to provoke, you need to really work to empower your audience you need to really yeah. work to to release and um, again, empower your performers to to be live in the moment, to react with what's going on in the room. Um, over recent years, I've worked a lot more with music, um, which I think in terms has made my work both in, both more emotional and more political. Um, right. I think my work probably used to be more conceptual or intellectual in the way that I understood coming at it and now I now I come from much more musical emotional space and that in turn helps me think or feel very differently about how you meet an audience I think if you sort of can start to meet an audience in a more musical emotional space you can you can travel further faster um, okay. yeah. I've, I've always had the idea in, in making theatre that you begin like a lot of my shows begin with a very obvious hello to the audience. Okay. Like, like a, a space of kind of like somebody within the world of the show finding a, a way, whatever it is, to look out at the audience and say hello and to acknowledge it's that to, uh, you're in this room and I'm in this room and we've got this very limited period of time together. You know, it might be an hour, it might be three hours. Yeah. But it's a very limited amount of time, but through a collective act of imagination during that time we can cr we can travel an incredible distance formally politically emotionally from the thing of going right we're in a room we're in, we're in, this, we're in this place let's now let's see how far we can get and, and acknowledging that is the jumping off point exactly, exactly. For, for me I, I find it very hard to begin if you don't acknowledge that in some way and sometimes that's a tiny subtle thing and sometimes it's very overt um, but then once you've made that acknowledgement it's like right now all bets are off let's make stuff up you know, it's, it's sort of that um, very kid-like gesture of right let's yeah. make it that 
you're a spaceman and <laughs> I'm an alien. Okay, right, go. And then you and then you can charge off into that imaginary world, that fantasy space with um with a collusion with the audience because yeah. you've opened up that first space of kind of going, Okay, here's here's what we are and where we are together before we've begun. It, it's not it's acknowledging that we're here to space, it's having that sense of play. And you can st- you can still make naturalistic work with it, but I guess it's still still acknowledging where we are and why we're hey, here as well. You know, audiences are audiences now I think are more sophisticated than audiences have ever been. Right. You know, audiences experience so many forms of work. They're you know our mainstream of edu- our, our mainstream of entertainment is this now you know is this deconstructionist self-referential playful formal space where all bets are off where you can lurch from mm. complete realism and naturalism to total meta worlds and back again in a in a in a heartbeat so where you ask an audience to either exist in a more austere place where you go right we're doing one thing with real carefulness and precision and rigor or whether you're running around all over yeah. the place it all works yes. it's just establishing that contract uh, with the audience I find really interesting and you've mentioned that you became artistic director of Northern Stage in 2013 um, who based in Newcastle uh, what did you know about the company and their work uh, before you became the artistic director I'd had quite a long relationship. I was when I was doing my masters, I'd worked there as an assistant. Yeah. It was a very different organisation then. They still had an ensemble. They were making sort of very European inspired ensemble theatre, quite a sort of auteurs, directors theatre as well. Right. Um, in between that time, the uh, the ensemble had been disbanded. Erica Wyman had taken over. She'd done an incredible job of sort of trying to open the company up, make it more porous, make it more accessible to uh, artists earlier in their careers, artists within the region. Um, And Erica had been incredibly generous to uh, me and Grayscale, which is the company myself and uh, my Mm. partner Selma had started together. Um, So we'd, after I left the Travers, we moved to London, we started Grayscale, which was an ensemble of writers, uh, directors, actors, designers, sort of looking at more collaborative commissioning forms and really trying to mine into this mm. obsession with liveness and a relationship to form. Um, and Erica and Northern Stage had been hugely supportive of that work. Um, so we'd taken a lot of work there. We'd co-commissioned and co-produced work with them. And I'm, like, I, you know, I wasn't particularly looking for a building-based job or particularly looking for an artistic directorship. Mm-hmm. And when that organization came up it was i think it went like that oh, quite like quite like that job yeah um so yeah so yeah i had, I had quite a an established relationship with the organization i was also yeah. in, you know it's very hard to get out of the studio scale and to make larger scale work unless yeah. you have an organization or resources behind you or you know you can get an organization who really is willing to sort of 
bet on you as a as a director. So, um, you know, in a, in a funny roundabout way, the, the, the easiest way to make, to make mid-scale work was to take over a mid-scale organisation as artistic director to then be directing on larger stages. And, and what was it like ha- having that more responsibility of running a building, going from being a freelance artist? To... You know, it's a, it's a startling learning curve. You know, there are so many things you don't know about coming in, um, you know, from HR to insurance to, you know, what happens when the roof starts leaking yeah. to, you know, how to properly structure... Um, touring deals to you know how to work with you know I was I'd gone from working with a very small team of people who had all been friends with many years to suddenly you've got a staff of you know 40 people working in a whole load of different departments and ways and of course you're not doing all of that alone but as artistic director and as in that at another stage I was joint chief executive you know the responsibility for all of that flows to you so it's a it's a really brutally sharp learning curve um, and I think it's one of the things that you know we as an industry need to need to look at is how we better train and prepare people mm. for that kind of change. I mean, you know, the first two years at Northern Stage, you know, I, all I did was work. You know, I got up in the morning, yeah. I left the house, I was at work before seven in the morning, and I came home after you know I was the last person out of the building mm-hmm. at the night and that was the only way I knew how to do it which isn't a good way to do it you know it's not a sustainable balanced way to do it and you know talking to a lot of you know younger artistic directors who have recently come into buildings or recently started yeah. in organizations that unfortunately is really really the norm that the way people cope with it is to put themselves under enormous stress and and, and pressure and you know, I think a lot of what our industry has been thinking about and reflecting on over the time of the pandemic is going, how, how do we do better? You know, how do we prepare people for these roles? How do we get a better understanding of how, in, you know, in the same way that we need to work to, to better support freelancers and to, to make mm. more sustainable, equitable things? You know, my partner and I, we have a young child now. And yeah would have been impossible couldn't have done both things at the same no. at the same time um so yeah it's a it's a it's a complicated it's a complicated beast i, no. I think the industry has to relieve those pressures on freelancers because burnout is a real thing and a lot of people are suffering from it during the pandemic and yeah, and I, you know I, I remember very clearly in that first two years at northern states like on the one hand you know, I was working harder than I'd ever worked in my life. Yeah. On the other hand, um, it was the first time in my adult life that I wasn't struggling to pay the rent. Yeah. And and, and the and the amount of pressure that that alleviates from mm. you is un, is unbelievable. Yeah. And and I think you know that fundamental pressure that freelancers um, in every part of our industry struggle with of having to take on too much of being in a position of of weakness in relation to negotiation and terms and conditions and and, and all of that is a never-ending source of of stress and difficulty and you know as we as we tentatively emerge from the um 
pandemic, for all the talk about building back better, as an industry, we are rushing back to doing everything yeah. 100 miles an hour. And it's, it's certainly something that you know we as a company are really trying to think and look at on, every, on the basis of every project of going, how do we, on the one hand, make sure that we're extracting every penny of value from the precious money that we draw from the public purse. Yeah. And on the other hand, also how do how do we create humane, sustainable ways to work yeah. with freelancers? And on the third hand, how do we how do we make sure that all of that work has every bit of reach and every bit of impact and every bit of value that it can in the way that we that we produce it, which are no, there's no simple answers to those questions. It's it's And I guess it'll be a case of, of trial and error. Seeing things may not work and it's about developing a strategy which works for National Theatre Wales, for freelancers and for the community yeah. of Wales. And I, and I think being really being really transparent about what are you doing, what are you trying? Yeah. What as you do things going what what worked better? What didn't work? What are we What are we going to learn from that? And but also at the same time acknowledging that in turn take a lot of capacity. Yes. Um, and the and the reality of our industry that our financial resources are extremely tight hasn't changed. Um, you know, I, I was speaking with a a freelance director uh, last week who is in the process of um, directing a show. In, is in sort of pre-production okay. and casting for a show for you know a relatively uh, well-established a relatively large and significant um, producing organisation and was feeling huge pressure about all the all the demands around transparency and casting and access and inclusion and working with COVID and all of those things yes. going on one hand I absolutely agree that all of these things need to be built into the basis of the production and on the other hand there are no more resources than there were two years ago to deliver no. that and it's very easy by mistake for us to pour the pressure for delivering that really necessary and urgent step change in our practice to be another thing that drops onto the shoulders of our freelancers. So as organizations, we need to take real responsibility within within our processes, within our systems, within our reporting, within our yeah. sharing of best practice within our else to go, this is what we're trying to do, this is how we're trying to... Uh, trying and that to should be a top-down thing, that should come from the artistic director. I think it, I think it's, it it absolutely should be a top down thing. I think it's even wider than that. It's an industry. Yes. You know, it needs to be part of our funding conversations. It needs to be part of our co production agreements. It needs to be part of again this thing of like of open conversation and iteration. Um, and the the really difficult bit in that, that I think we have to talk about and we have to acknowledge is that if we're going to do all of those things in the way that they need to be done and the level of resource available to us in, as an industry is going to remain the same, that is going to result in less things being done better. Yeah. Um, and that in turn will in some ways manifest as less important for 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 people yeah. now that's a very 
you know, it's not as simple an equation as that, but those forces are coming to bear, and it's something that we have to, again, that there's got to be an industry-wide conversation about how are we, how are we doing these things, how are we, how are we being really clear about how we're deploying our resources, about how we're sharing our resources, about how we're measuring yeah. what we are and what we aren't achieving as we as we go about trying to make better work in better ways uh, going into yeah, the future. Very important. Um, and the ongoing conversation is going to continue and need to continue. Yeah, yeah. This is you know this isn't a conversation you're ever going to get to the end of. No. <laughs> it's a conversation you're going to have to end. We we've done it now. That's fine. Okay, but, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to talk next about the last ship, which was uh, a, mu- a piece of music lit by Sting that you wrote the book for. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the piece first? Yeah, so it's, um, it's a big political musical about um, what happens within a community when it's major industry dies so um you know sting grew up uh on north of the time um when the when the shipyards were in the were in full swing you know when tens of thousands of people were employed where you know dozens of ships were being built on within any given year um where you know it was a, a fundamental part of the of the rhythm of that community of that ecosystem and Twenty years later, the the last yard on um, on the River Tyne had had, had closed. Right. So um, the Sting had created it started with an album uh, called um, the Soul Cages, uh, which he wrote sort of loosely around his experience as a as a young man around the shipyards, and then it had been produced as a musical um, on Broadway, right. um, which. You know, hadn't hadn't done badly at all. The score had been really praised. It just hadn't quite it hadn't flown. Um, and a, a commercial uh, producer, Carl Siddle, had bought uh, the rights of it over and was convinced that there was a a show that could do more, could do better uh, within it. And bought it to the UK, um, and then through. Uh, through a designer, uh, Leo Warner, who runs a company called 59 Productions, who's a, a long-time collaborator of mine. Um, I met with Carl and then with Sting, and we started looking about going, how do you how do you make this show to work in the UK? What, um, what, were, the, then, what were the difficulties there? Um, well, then, fundamentally, I mean, the, you know, the, the book that had been with the American show wasn't a bad book by any means, but I didn't feel it would work in the UK. It was missing. It had no politics in right. it, and you're you're talking about nineteen eighties Britain. You know, you're talking about a period immediately after the minor strike, immediately after um, the Falklands War. You're talking about a space where you know heavy industry and the trade unions are in a state of of open war with the government, um, and that element was missing from the show. So we took the decision to completely rewrite the book um, in order to to bring that element in. You know, we we kept some 
some ingredients of the story from the original book, some some characters, but there's huge shift within it to sort of bring the politic within it. Mm. Um, there was a big change, and you know you you can't talk about working class politics without talking about the role of women within working class communities. It's always been such a driver yeah. uh, of those movements. We bought a huge amount about that in. Um, musically, I think probably the, I mean, the the score is amazing, but we sort of we moved it maybe into a slightly more choral, slightly more folk rooted place than the right. American version had been. Um, and then we set about with with Leo in '59 making one of the most ambitious um, video based uh, sets that has ever been seen. You know, it was an incredibly yeah. big, complex. Um, it was a bit more like directing a film than directing a show. So you've got, you know, we had this huge seawall. There were about, like, about 18 projectors working on the set at any mm. one time, which means you could shift context, light, shade, move into big sort of cinematic sweeping sections within the show. And yeah, it was just a, it was a total, a total joy uh, to to work on from beginning to end. And did a big UK tour, then. Uh, then we ran it in. We took it to Toronto and ran it in Canada. And at oh, that wow. point, Sting came into the show as a performer. Um, did great in Canada. Then we took it um, just before the pandemic started. We opened it um, at the Amundsen Theatre in LA. It just had a great run in LA. It was just beginning its US tour, and then the um, pandemic oh, stuff uh, struck, and it, it, the show was in San Francisco. And you know, with twenty four hours notice, everybody had to get on a plane and come home. And that was that was that. So you know, hopefully, it will have another another. It will sail again. The economics of those shows are very challenging. So uh, we just need to wait for everything mm. to to be in the right place before it happens again. Hopefully. And what was it like working with Sting? It was amazing. You know, he's he's a, a really generous collaborator and an utterly driven perfectionist. Mm. You know, oh, wow. very, very, very good <laughs> is not good enough. You know, he wants everything mm. to be absolutely as good as it can be, and that you know the the complexity of the music, and you put you know you put that energy and that drive to to make everything the absolute best it can be at the heart of a production, and it you know it lifts everyone up around it. Um, you know, and you have the you know the the time and the resources and the people around you to to really push that work as far as you can go mm. with it. Um, I think, you know, as I was saying at the beginning, because it's, you know, because it was a, a very political piece and, a, and something rooted into a deeply emotional music, it puts your audience into a fascinating space. You know, when, when we opened the show in Newcastle, um, you know, we worked very hard to make sure that on every night, uh, there was a really significant representation of people who worked in the yards and the audience, and you've got yeah. that back and forth yeah. between people going, "That's that's my story, that's my life, that's what I happened to." I recognise that, which opens, you know. It's a really cathartic thing to see yourself being represented on stage somewhere where working class people traditionally haven't had. But I just thought, I haven't been seen, so I bet it was an amazing experience for them well, to we see had, that. We had a company, I think it was, what, 22 on stage, and of the 22 people on stage, 20 of them were their father, like someone in their yeah. immediate family had worked in the arts. 
so it's not just you know it's the people on stage who yes. are being represented in the same moment and that's a, you know that's a very powerful really place important i think so you became artistic director of the national theater Wales in the autumn of 2019 which conveniently was just before the pandemic hit so what has this first year been, been like yeah well, i say I, I began in in the march so uh, right. my, my first day in the office was the day that boris johnson said nobody should go to theater oh, no. um so it, yeah it's it, it's been a very very challenging uh context to begin in but it's been hugely challenging for everyone. You know, I've been in a very privileged position of having both agency and security to be able to work through in this time. Um, it's very, yeah, it's, it's been very difficult. You know, any company and for an artistic director of a company, you you explain and you show what you want the company to do to be doing through making work. Yeah. And just, you know, within digital context, within the restrictions of how we've been able to rehearse within mm. the restrictions that all of our partners have been facing, it's been very difficult to make big visible work. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of small things, you know, smaller digital shows, um, lots of work, you know, supporting, freelance artists lots of yes. smaller commissions lots of developmental programs all of that but you know you want to you want to exist in the work that is out in the world in mm. audiences you know i was in um uh, bubbleton in pembrokeshire um on friday evening for a screening of go tell the bees which you know is a film we've made during the course of right. pandemic it's it's you know the fruit of four years of work it's a show that you know we kept, we just kept going with with the pandemic, kept trying to reinvent, trying to okay. find a way to make it. And that, you know, that film has more than 400 people from across Pembrokeshire in it. You have found some way of contributing to that thing and being, you know, is... in a field, in the country, in Pembrokeshire, with an audience going, this is us. It's sort of similar to that experience yeah. of, the, of that last ship process of going, here's a piece of art which is travelling with its community which is traveling with its audience and going this is one of the types of things that we need to be doing you know i think that you know, the work right. of ntw will always and should always be a continuum which yes. includes you know epic artist-led high aesthetic ambition high political ambition yes. work and work which is coming out of a deeply rooted community process and every possible space in between and reinventing and thinking about how, you know, how those processes have an, have, have an osmotic relationship uh, with each yeah. other. Um, but it's, you know, that, that work of how we, um, yeah, how, how we get back out into into conversation with audiences how we'd be making work mm. that can can be happening all over wales is the the thing that we're really striving for at the moment uh, are you aiming to connect with buildings as well because i'm aware that national state of wales doesn't have a building actually how are you going yes to we're we're um we're touring um shondale jones's show possible into right. a whole range of venues this autumn uh 
which is a, a show which was first made as a as a digital piece and now is going to be a live um, show. We'll then um, I can't. It's being announced on Thursday, so I can't say exactly what it is. Well, I, well, this isn't going out till Saturday. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> well, in that case, we're <laughs> uh, we're we're co-producing um, a show with uh, Theatre Gendelethal Company and August O twelve, right. um, which is um, August zero twelve. Sorry, uh, which is a, a a play called Petula. Um, which is a, a French-Swiss play by Fabrice Melchior, um in a new translation by Dave James, which oh, wow. Lopez is going to be directing, which is this, this amazing play. It's going to be multilingual, it's sort of dash written in, in this incredibly fluid Wenglish uh, world with bits of yeah. French, BSL and all other kinds of things. It's a, it's a show about grief and joy and Sort of coming to terms with yourself in the world it, it's a a show it, it's sort of got a it's, it's central protagonist as a teenager but I think it's a show that will work for mm. for adult audiences and teenage audiences alike and there's something yeah I'm really excited by it I think there's uh, it's a huge it's a hugely useful show for this moment mm. it's like very human very absurd about it um and of course, you know, hugely excited by both Matilda and Daft's uh, work both and that, and that, that co-production yeah. space between the two national theatre companies is really exciting as well. We're you know we're having a great time working with Theatre Again. They're amazing partners. Um, I wanted to yeah, ask that, you that, again. It's something that can be really useful to a to a range of buildings to be bringing audiences back in. Um, mm. And then as we sort of look towards next summer, then there'll be more outdoor work yes. um, set different different kinds of work following on from that as well I wanted to ask you about do you, do you think there's a case for having a single national theatre company in Wales working in both languages or do you think the model of having two separate national theatres is the best going forward uh, I think yeah I think the model works well you know, I'm very new to Wales and the Wales cultural scene, and I'm, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't presume to have a, an opinion mm. or a thesis on what would be a different way of doing it to the way it's working now. Um, you know, what I find so inspiring and so exciting about being part of the cultural scene, part of the theatre scene within Wales, is this profound relationship in between community and production um, and that professional production and non-professional production exist in a really complex space in relation to each other which is fruitful which is ambitious that you know, there there isn't and shouldn't be a hierarchy in between those things um, but I think you know the way theatre again serve uh, a Welsh language audience a community of Welsh language artists is incredibly important as is the way that NTW functions as an English language national theatre. Yeah. So, you know, if it ain't broke, um, <laughs> I think it's the it's, okay. it's what I would do with it. And how are you at National Theatre going to support writers going forward? What opportunity is would there be for writers to work with National so, Theatre? Yes, we're, we're doing an awful lot at the moment. Um, we're 
Krüd and Theatre Gen on um, an open submission portal uh, for Welsh playwrights, which will give a space for writers to be able to submit plays and to be getting right. feedback and a chance for us to be, you know, looking for new talent in a whole load of ways. Yeah. Um, there are uh, again a, a, a couple of larger schemes which will be announced over the next three months, which I can't. Okay. Uh, I, I can't announce now. My uh, my audience's team will be very upset about me. But there are a set of initiatives um, which provide a, a a really exciting range of um, uh, commissioning opportunities for for writers within um, NTW's own program of work. We have uh, I think the company has more plays on commission at this moment than it's ever had. Um, you know, it's not. You know, obviously, we have a huge range of projects that are under development, not just writer-led projects. But yes. uh, we have some really exciting plays uh, in development, um, and then we're also looking really carefully about how we evolve our own dramaturgical capacity. Um, I'm very interested in how, the, because NTW has this amazing gift an agency to reinvent its processes from yes. one show to another. The way we think about sort of dramaturgical consistency across um, those uh, those different processes is, is challenging but really exciting. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to develop is a way where that dramaturgical conversation is one that isn't entirely held within the company but about how we bring freelancers into the very heart of that. And that sense of like, what is a Welsh dramaturgy, yeah. or what el- what are Welsh dramaturgies that work through a whole range of different processes, yeah. but still have some consistencies of thought, of practice, of politic, of aesthetic, of form, uh, running running through them, sort of within a, a wider contextualization. I think is is really exciting and interesting, and that's you know that includes things about you know, the tradition of site specific work about. Um, this relationship between co-created work and uh, more purely artist-led work about the relationship, uh, the de- you know the deep relationships with community yeah. and the origination of work rather than just the reception of work of the the fluid spaces in between the professional and the non-professional. So yeah, it's all I think part of a larger question of what is Welsh theatre? What, the, what are the defining characteristics yeah. of Welsh? Of Welsh theatre and how, as a sector, do we be the best neighbours we can be to each other to collectively mm. advance and drive and evolve that identity with our audiences, with our artists, remembering that yeah. our audiences are our artists, everything in between as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing the schemes when they're announced, and I really hope to work with you as well in the future. Um, but I want to talk about Festival 22 before I let you go off into the world and get on your day. Um, there's a lot being said about it and um, it's still in fact being seen as this Brexit festival. How would you kind of allay people's worries? as to what you want to do as an organisation for Festival 22 
And what would you say to people? Yeah, well, there's, a, there's a, a big announcement coming on 21st of October about okay. the nature of the programme, about the festival itself, and at that point we're going to be able to talk much more explicitly okay. and clearly about what the project that we're making with Collective Company and with all of those those, those partners. Um, at the moment we're in a, a process working with 120 members of community from across Wales on a, on a world building process which is which is hugely exciting which I've been lucky enough to be part of so thank you for that opportunity oh, it's wonderful to have you have you as part of it um, I think you know what we have to what we have to take responsibility for at this stage is for building a process which is inclusive which is democratic which um, creates space for voices from people from every walk of life and every geographic space and cultural context within Wales and then when we're able to talk more specifically about what the project is okay. and what it hopes to deliver then to be really open to, to, to dialogue um, if, if I believed for a second that the festival was trying to be a festival of Brexit, that it was trying to espouse or, or carry a, a, a party line or drive a particular agenda, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be within a million miles of it. Um, mm. This is a, a huge opportunity to speak to the world about what Wales is trying to become about what are some core parts of what this small, dynamic, ambitious, nuanced nation is trying yes. to hold with itself as a, as a, as a conversation. Um, and yeah. as a national company, if we weren't trying to put ourselves in the heart of an opportunity like that, I think we would have some very difficult questions to answer in the same way yes. that we have some difficult questions to answer being at the, at the, at the heart of it. I, I guess it's about putting yourselves within those communities and talking to those communities of Wales, finding out what they want, what their opinions are, and showcasing that as well, working, making work with communities, but also for them as well. Through this yeah, I think, you know, the, what, what we've attempted to do is to build a process that is absolutely rooted in the, in the proudest traditions of Welsh theatre, of... of looking to travel with communities rather than to make a thing and go right now you may buy a ticket you may come and yeah. have this transactional relationship with 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 your major with you know with, with major public art um you know there's an incredibly exciting group of artists working uh on the production and bringing with them you know rigor and care and ambition uh, in all sorts of ways. So yeah, I, I can't, truth be told, I can't, I can't wait to be able to talk about the project and then to look yeah. at how we then open spaces for dialogue around why we're doing what we're trying to do, how we're doing what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, you know, and also within that, that you, know, you can't get away from the reality that it also gives us the opportunity to create a lot of employment within the yes, cultural sector absolutely. in Wales at a time when it's really desperately yeah. needed uh, as well. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing the festival and what you come up with. Uh, the last question I've got for you is what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out 
in the industry, especially coming out of the pandemic? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I remember when I when I started at Northern Stage, um, and it felt like there was so much that I didn't even begin to know how to do. Um, I went and had a cup of coffee with David Lamb, who was then at the Young Vic, uh, and he gave me a great bit of advice to go, you know, remember that they gave you this job. So whenever you encounter something that you don't know how to do, take a moment, take a breath, look at yourself and ask yourself, what would I do in this situation? And then do that. Yeah. Um, and I think that, as a piece of advice, really transfers to people at the beginning of their careers to go, if you're gonna, if you're gonna find your way in this industry, if you're gonna find a way to exist with your audience, to develop a relationship with an audience, to find your collaborators, do all of that, your your authenticity and your originality is your greatest asset. You are your greatest asset. Yeah. So trying to find ways to take those moments to take a breath and go, what is that I what is that I want to do? What's the integrity and the authenticity of my voice, my gesture, my process? Um, and to find a way within that where you know your your practice as an artist is a part of your life. It's not a cipher for your entire life. Yeah. So unless you're unless you can find a way for your for your art and your practice to exist as one of the things that nurtures and sustains you and allows you to make sense of the world, you place a huge pressure on that single lens for for your well being, for your sense of your identity, for your sense of who you are and how you're trying to be. So I think finding a way to you know to try and be uh, it's a, to, to, to be yourself, to be you know, be yourself. Work from, work from yourself. Try and try and work from a place of sustainability and balance, which you know is a lot yeah. easier said than done when you have all of these pressures coming at you from from every side. But I think it it is what we have to strive for, and the idea of of well being as something that you need to demand help with, yeah. and that you need to work you know you work towards as much as as you work towards your professional life mm. uh, i think is a is a really important and timely definitely and i think that resonates with a lot of people listening thank you very much for your time this morning it's been lovely oh it's been great it's been wonderful to talk to you thank you so much kim um you're more than welcome thank you for going on uh, that's it for this episode of in lockdown with um Please do in for the next episode next week. I'm not sure who the guest is going to be yet, but for now it's bye for me and bye for Lauren. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. 
If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.